Namaste Jai Hind welcome to another edition of ANI podcast with Smita Prakash Today my conversation is with Lieutenant General Kuldeep Singh Brar a veteran of the 1971 India Pakistan war and the liberation of Bangladesh He was also the commanding officer of Operation Blue Star and remains on the hit list of Khalistani terrorists He survived an attempt on his life 10 years ago in London 89 year old lieutenant general bar in conversation with me Jens sir thank you very much for coming uh, on the podcast we have so much to discuss with you want to talk about operation blue star and want to talk about uh, the liberation war so uh, let's begin with uh, operation blue star you know many of our listeners and viewers probably are from uh, you know the post 1980s generation they they maybe they don't know about what punjab was in the 1980s so if you could give me a little bit of background information about what the situation was uh, before the army was asked to uh, intervene you you're very correct generations after 80s don't know anything about it in the 80s or let's say in 82 83 84 things were very bad over there there was no law and order at all the police had become a defunct force there was the saint who had risen from a village but he has such a charismatic personality that everyone accepted him almost like a 11th guru chap hmm. called janel singh bindranwale he lived in a village called rode but he went around uh, giving his sermons and at that stage slowly and steadily the state of punjab started crippling and bindran wale was an all powerful man hmm. there was murders there was smuggling taking place banks being looted there was no law no order at all if someone uh, had a problem he, his electricity has been cut off he just had to go to bindran wale touch his feet and say my electricity has been cut off i'm a poor chap and bindran wale would call one of his assistants and give orders please tell the deputy commissioner by 4 o'clock this evening the electricity better be restored that was the situation so there was a cult built up around bindran wale and the state administration and the state police forces were to- totally dysfunctional right a dig of police as you know was killed and just thrown outside the golden temple yeah a lot of the police were afraid to even take any action against anyone hmm. because bindran wale had become so powerful he had become like a frankenstein hmm. his orders were the last orders so things were very very bad there in fact in the beginning of 1984 the feeling was very strong that they are going to declare khalistan mm. all his tapes his speeches were all that we are, we are not with india this is a hindu raj gandhi raj indira gandhi raj we are sikhs we have more in common with the pakistanis the uh, their blood and our blood is similar so out here we are treated as second class citizens we must have our own state and therefore the feeling started building up about khalistan 
the movement started building up. And the youth, at that time there was a lot of unemployment in Punjab. The youth were without jobs. They had motorcycles and scooters and they roamed around with little uh, pistols and revolvers. And uh, there were many gangsters. So, in other words, law and order had totally broken down. The uh, feeling of Khalistan was slowly building up. Bindranwale was fully in control of the state. And his last few tapes, which were circulated in the villages, said that I'm here to create this new state. I don't expect the army to ever move into the Golden Temple. If they do, they'll get a bloody nose. But what I want you all to do is that if the Golden Temple is ever attacked, I want you to come here in your thousands and millions and surround the forces who dare to step inside the Golden Temple. These messages and recordings were being circulated all over the villages. And the people had been motivated that if anything happens, you come straight to the Golden Temple. And therefore, this was behind our mind throughout that we have to finish this operation fast. Because the moment the news goes to the hinterland, to the villages, that our Darbar Sahib has been attacked, they will all start converging towards Amritsar. Hmm. They'll come with guns, rifles, spears, swords, anything that they can have. And what a terrible situation it would have been that the army is inside the Golden Temple carrying out an operation. And here we have thousands and thousands of Sikh supporters of the movement who have surrounded the army. Now, who do we fight? The people inside or the people outside? It was a so this was at the background of everyone's mind that they are going to declare Khalistan any time. At the same time, Thousands of police uh, of um, Sikhs will converge to the Golden Temple, so this operation must be finished as fast as possible. Speed was a criteria. So, when did you? Uh, when were you sent to Amritsar? What was the timeline given to you, and what were your orders then? Actually, on on the first uh, of June. I was I was to go on two months annual leave. 1984, 1st of June. 1984, 1st of June. My leave had been sanctioned. I was commanding a division in Meerut. And in the evening of the 31st of May, we were all in the mess having a drink and everyone was bidding us goodbye and have a good leave, sir. Have a nice holiday. We were going to Manila in the Philippines. And while we were at this dinner, a phone call came from Chandigarh to say that General Brar is required in the operations room in Chandigarh tomorrow by 12 o'clock. You're Major General at that time. I was a Major General. So I looked at my wife. I said, uh, we better start moving now. Get to Delhi and then hmm. we'll go on to Chandigarh. Hmm. But I'll go alone. You keep the tickets, all the travelers' checks. I'll be back by the evening. There must be some conference. And we take our flight. So I flew into Chandigarh on the 1st of June, 1984. There were cars waiting for me at the airport. Uh, 
I was rushed to Chandi Mandar to the operations room. Over there, I found maps on the wall. People all tensed up. It's a war room. It was a war room. I was wondering what's happening, but at the same time, often even for riot control and uh, aid to civil power, these sort of uh, war rooms are set up. Were you the senior most in that room? In that room? Yeah. No. No. Uh, General Sundarji was sitting there. He was the army commander, GOCNC Western Command, and his chief of staff was General Dial Ranjit Singh Dial. Lieutenant General, both were there, and then his MGGS Major General General Staff was Major General Mehta. He was also there. Now Mehta was standing with a stick to uh, um, point out various things on the maps. There were a number of maps stuck up. So they said, "Take a seat. Take a seat." I sat down. There's no time to waste. Let's get down to business straight away. He said. Seriously? Who said General Sundarji? General Sundarji. Let's get down to business straight away. You know how Sundarji is. He, yeah. Uh, he speaks with strength. I was still in my mind wondering what is this business? No idea. Then he said, "Well, Bulbul." He, uh, he called me by my nickname. He says, "Bulbul, we've called you here for a very special mission." And. Um, General Mehta, my MGGS will now brief you of what the situation in Amritsar is. The situation is very serious, and we'll want you to move to Amritsar the moment this briefing is over, and start planning the operation. So I said, "Sir, this evening I'm flying to Manila. I'm on two months annual leave." So he looked at General Dial. General Dial looked at him. Cancer. They whispered to each other. <laughs> they spoke a few words, and then he said, "I'm sorry, your leave is cancelled. <laughs> There's a more important job waiting for you. Sure, you can have your leave after that." I said, "All right, sir." Then started the briefing, hmm. and in the briefing, they told me how bad things were, and how Khalistan may be declared within the next five or six days. And if Khalistan is declared, Pakistan would cross the border and get into India, our part of Punjab, just as we went into Bangladesh. They would recognize Khalistan. They would say Khalistan is recognized by Pakistan. They would cross the border and start moving towards Amritsar. Now, at that stage, we would have to defend the border. So troops, they had to be adequate troops to defend that border. So the division in Amritsar, there was one division in Amritsar, they were given the task to defend the borders. Mm. They had moved into the areas right along the front. Mm. My division was in Meerut. I came down by air. My troops were still in Meerut. So he said. the task will be too much we'd have to stop pakistan from entering india there's a possibility punjab police will uh, mutiny and join in with khalistan they'll recognize khalistan and they say that is our state as it is they had become dysfunctional so 
we would have to then disarm the police so the dgp was not part of this war room dgp no at no. this time it was just the army the army okay so the police would have to be disarmed at the same time we'd be have to be defending our territory from pakistani invasion and there would be a terrible situation of the 1947 riots like it happened in 1947 the hindus from punjab would be rushing out towards delhi and haryana the sikhs from haryana and delhi would be rushing into punjab so a large number of forces would be required for riot control so the army would have to now make sure you defend your territory against pakistan you disarm the police that means there would be no police as it is the police was ineffective army would have to take over complete control and at the same time you do riot control who else was there to do riot control if the police has become ineffective so it would have been a very difficult task and therefore it was necessary that whatever operation we have to carry out must be done quickly a and surgical operation. surgical operation hmm. we mustn't give them time the masses and the villages mustn't know that we've got into the mobilization should be stopped at any cost so the briefing took place right and he said to me he said today is the first i don't think we have more than 4 or 5 days so you go uh, you get to um amritsar there's a plane waiting outside to take you to amritsar you ask your troops to start moving from merit uh, meanwhile my headquarters has given orders that the transport and everything should be kept ready and they've already been warned to be ready to move to amritsar i had one brigade in jalandhar and to an amritsar so they all had to start moving to amritsar mm. that itself was a would have taken them a full day by road by road and i had to move to amritsar by air uh, a couple of my staff officers from merit also flew down by air so he said i'll come to you on the third for your first briefing that will give you about 48 hours to make your outline plan we'll discuss it as to how we're going to carry out this operation mm. i said sure sir and i said meanwhile can i send word to my wife in delhi to say that our leave is cancelled please return the tickets i'm not returning back i'm going on a mission and i'll speak to you later mm. of course so his staff officer rang up my wife and informed her because they, they they didn't want me to waste any time to inform her general is not returning to delhi he has been given a mission the leave is cancelled you're not going uh, to manila so he will get in touch with you uh, later today when mission's done so this briefing ended everyone was quiet over there we didn't know what to expect but you know it's an enormous task by now task so i saluted him and i said i will wait for you on the third sir meanwhile i'll go and carry out my 
planning and I flew down to Amritsar. I drove down to headquarters 15 infantry division. They are the division in uh, Amritsar. They are the ones who should have actually been given this task because they know the Golden Temple, they know the police forces, they know who's the DG police, they know who's the deputy commissioner, they know who's the commissioner. I'm a new man. I've come from an, a different area altogether. I've literally come from UP. There yeah. it is in the UP. With no idea about the Golden Temple. But then one has to realize that that division had a task on the border. Mm. So either I go to the border, but I wouldn't know uh, what are the tasks over there. They're already ready to take on the Pakistanis. So I was the best man. Mm to undertake this task and I left for Amritsar and um, went straight to the headquarters of the division. I had my staff to open a war room there. We set up a war room, put up all the maps. I said we'll have a little initial briefing first and then we will have a larger audience. All police forces had been placed under my command. The DG police, the CRPF, they were now all under my command. So I could call them any time. But first let me make my own plan before I mm -hmm. call them. So the whole of that day, 1st of June, um, went in the thinking process. How, should, how do we do this? There were various advisors there from within the army. And... It was decided that it has to be a surgical operation, but um, there is no other way except to physically enter the Golden Temple. One had earlier thought about uh, an aerial operation coming by helicopters, mm. dropping people into the Golden Temple, mm. uh, you know, then they realized that it will be too dangerous because they're very heavily armed inside that golden temple. About 2,000 of them. In you had intel about how many people, what are the arms and which section of the temple they're sitting in? Well, hazy information because who was there to give you information, you know. The, we had, when I got to Amritsar, I got to know that there are about 2,000 um, of these terrorists inside. They're heavily armed. They've got machine guns, rocket launchers, uh, grenades, uh, light machine guns, and uh, rifles, uh, country guns. And they have um, made emplacements inside the marble of the temple, uh, they've got sandbags all over, they've closed all the windows, closed all the doors, they've blocked everything. They were preparing for an assault. Yeah, yeah, they were preparing for an assault, but they still in their minds believed that the government of India wouldn't be strong enough to order an assault inside. But they weren't strong enough. I'm sorry to say this, but when when the uh, government of the day can see this kind of weaponry going inside any place of worship, 
they aren't strong enough. They couldn't stop it from happening. I mean, I'm seeing it in hindsight, sir. You see, people closed their eyes when these weapons were going in. The police was too frightened of the terrorists. They dare not check the vehicles. They dare not check what's going in. And can you imagine how many vehicles come in every day? Every day they must be feeding thousands and thousands of people who come there to pray in the Golden Temple. They have their langar, as you know, inside the Golden right. Temple. Rice, dal, roti, vegetables. So they would have enough uh, Trucks going supplies in for at least 15 days. Oh. 15 days of uh, cooking oil, atta, ghee, rice, dal, everything was there. Also, what I'm told is that uh, that was an era when there were no, um, there were no those bulletproof gates, uh, the frisking weapons weren't, you know, those uh, instruments weren't there. So it was easy to smuggle in grenades, locket launchers within under vegetables. They were coming things. in with these langar trucks, you know. Mm. The food was coming into the Golden Temple in those trucks. The weapons were coming in and they were covered. Though the police may have got some idea about it, but the idea was not accurate. They and there were no dogs, sniffer dogs, no, nothing? No, nothing like that. The police dared not come yeah. near the Golden Temple. Right, sir. I couldn't see a man in khaki dress around there. You went till the temple? Yeah. You did? Yeah. It said that you did some kind of a reiki to inside the temple. I... I did my reiki from outside. I dare not do it inside. I dare not stay inside. Hmm. Because if they get hold of me, I'm the commander of this operation, I'll, uh, the operation won't start. They would have recognized you? Of course they would have recognized me. There was a chap there called General Shabek Singh. Shabek Singh and I were good friends. 71 war. 71 war. Before that, when I was a cadet in uh, the JSW, part of NDA, part of the Indian Military Academy, he was my instructor. He was a captain. Yeah. And I was a cadet. Hmm. So I knew Shabek Singh from that time. Hmm. Then, of course, 71 war. Hmm. And Shabek knew me well enough. Hmm. In fact, I was told uh, when the operation was over by a number of these people who we had captured, prisoners, they said... Shabek Singh had told Bhindranwale that it's not going to be easy. We're going to have a tough fight if the army decides to come in because I can see General Bulbul Brar outside. I was outside on the rooftop somewhere else. He says, I can see him. I know he's in charge of this operation. And he's a tough guy. He's a Jatsik, hmm. just like you and just like me. We're all Jatsiks. We fight. And it's not going to be easy. We're going to have a tough time on us. And you knew that General Shaveg is there. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's not going to be easy for you either. Correct. I knew what a crafty man he was. And when I saw those defenses, and I saw how our troops were facing casualties when they went in, I realized that Shaveg's planning had been superb. You had seen him in action, uh, you know, in wartime. Yeah. And you know, when you say crafty, you mean, I mean, his craft was good. His war craft was good so long as it was for India. That's right. But here he was using that craft in a terror operation. That's right. 
right but, but it's still craft you see yeah he still uh, knew how to defend the place so you have this bindra wale uh, who you you don't uh, have uh, any good things to say about him no. he was he wasn't and here you have this crafty jut sikh whose patriotism one could never even thinks twice about you had such complete faith in it and so what happened to him unfortunately uh, he was court martialed um what exactly his crime was i don't know and he was dismissed from service uh, a little before operation blue star he was dismissed from service as a major general so his anger he was very angry with not only the army but with the government of india uh, because he considered himself a very good officer a good soldier and he didn't believe he had done anything wrong but the court martial found him guilty and the verdict was imp- uh, cashier uh, cashiered so he decided to go to amritsar and seek the blessings of um, this cult uh, of and bindrawale bindrawale anyone who had tr- any problem or trouble in punjab they always went to seek the blessings of bindrawale so there's general bulbul and general shabik that's it at the two ends of the fort that's right so tell me what were your instructions then obviously general sundar ji knew that you and general shabik have worked together well, the, it was known and general sundar ji had a lot of faith in me lot of confidence in me after all he was my army commander he i was one of his divisional commanders he had attended a number of exercises with me i had secured a competitive vacancy to go for staff college to australia i had commanded in not only an in infantry brigade but also in armored brigade which an infantryman doesn't normally get to command after commanding the armored brigade i was sent to the united states of america to do the war college so i had and from the war college i came to military operations directorate in delhi the hot seat uh for pre- uh, war preparations i'd gone through all this and general okay. sonjay ji felt that here is the guy who will be able to deliver the goods and it's a huge task which means it's not just an anti terror operation it's not one terror op it's it had larger ramifications absolutely right absolutely so, so now tell me you're on your third first week of june so the next day we made out our little plan that one battalion will cordon the place one battalion will enter from this gate another one will come from that gate and we'll start this operation round about 9 o'clock at night we need time to fight and we need time to clear the golden temple and it must be done before dawn before what we call first light a few hours only few hours only and thousands of people inside yeah because if you wait till it's daylight the news would spread now people are sleeping in amritsar they don't know what's going on and it's the age before uh, cell phones and things so there's no way there was no way but by next day 
the news would have spread that the Indian army is inside the Golden Temple and people would have started rushing in. So this operation had to end by dawn. Hmm. And uh, if you started it too early, uh, it's not dark enough. Uh, you don't have the cover of um, uh, carrying out your task. So the best time we thought was around about 8.30, 9 o'clock. We'll start this operation and be over by 6 o'clock or 6.30 in the morning. That was the hope. Hmm. Of course, it took a little longer. It went on to about 7.30, 9 o'clock because Akal Takht wouldn't give in. We were suffering heavy casualties. Hmm. Machine guns were firing from us from places which we never imagined, which we couldn't see, from within walls, from within doors. There was no satellite imagery, radar imagery, nothing. You didn't know the position of the guns? No, no. So, it was like a boxer going into the boxing ring with one hand tied behind his back and allowed to fight with only one hand because you don't have all the resources with you. Why? You don't know where the enemy is. You don't no. know who the enemy is, where the weapons are. So you, you don't have a free hand. Resources, you didn't... See, uh, it said that you, did, you could have taken an anti-tank equipment. You could have taken heavy machinery inside. No, you see... But we, did you, didn't you? We didn't want... Any damage? One of the, General Sundarji had given me three terms of reference. Hmm. He said the operation must start as soon as possible, but definitely in the next three or four days. It it must be over the same night because of the reasons I just gave you, and you must make sure that the minimum damage to the Golden Temple, to the buildings, and to human beings. Minimum damage. There were a lot of civilians inside, um, religious people inside. You can't just shoot them at will. Mm. So, you went into this action with number of uh, holes. Mm. Your hands were tied. It was you, you couldn't do whatever you want. You couldn't just walk in with tanks. So that's what we said, that tanks, anti-tanks, machine guns, did they go in at all? Bulldozers? Did no, they go in? no, no, no. Because the entrance is so narrow. You can't, you can't go in. You can't go? No. You have to start breaking the walls and all that. So there's a lot of disinformation. The reason I'm saying this is because, uh, Jensab, there's a lot of disinformation that there was heavy weaponry that went in. You're saying... The tank, tanks. one tank was brought in. Uh, around about 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning when we were suffering very heavy casualties they came in from the rear broke that door and came onto the Parakrama with one aim the aim was they have a very bright light called the Xenon lamp you mm. know uh, it's, it, it, it blinds gives, you it blinds you mm. The idea was that they will switch on their lights and the people in the Akal Takht, from where we were getting the heaviest amount of firing, most of our casualties took place in front of the Akal Takht. So they were firing from the Akal Takht 
onto the Indian army, yeah. which was in front of the Akal Takht. That's right. So we wanted these tanks now, or one tank or two tanks, to try and blind those people so that at least for a little time you're blinded and our troops can get in. Right. Now, unfortunately, when the first light came on, it lasted not even one minute, a few seconds and got fused. These bulbs get fused very fast. Then we brought in another tank. How did those tanks come in? So you must, they must have broken some walls or something. No. Because a, the path is too narrow. No. They were able to enter the Parakrama through a gate. Okay. There was a gate there. Hmm. And uh, they had to break a little bit of the Parakrama to get on. Yeah. So putting lights on these people to blindfold, uh, blind them and put our troops forward didn't work. The firing continued from all directions and we didn't want to uh, bring in heavy weapons because of the restriction given minimum force, no damage to buildings, no damage to the temple, etc. So the Akal Takht was not fired upon by no, the Indian army? No, no. Okay. They were firing from the Akal Takht. Uh, the Indian army took the casualties but did not fire on, on the, the Akal Takht. Am I fire. right in You're right. Okay. We did not fire on the Akal Takht. We were firing at the people who were outside the Akal Takht. Hmm. Maybe uh, if someone has fired from inside the Akal Takht to return as far, someone may have fired. You can't say at that time of the night if anyone did or did not. Mm. But the orders were not to fire towards the Akal Takht. But then the fact is, what do you do? Hum, you, you just allow your men to keep dying? Mm. You got to take some action. You were there inside the temple? No, I was outside. Did you get information that within X number of hours, so many soldiers of ours are down? Yeah. How, much did, how many people did we lose in that matter of 8 to 10 hours? In those eight to ten hours, we must have lost um, uh, three to hundred, three to four hundred. And what were the casualties on the other side? Would you know? How many people died on the other side? On the other side? Yeah, on the terrorist side. On the terrorist side, maybe about five to six hundred. Okay, and there must have been some civilian casualties too. Some civilian casualties. In fact, they weren't allowing the civilians to go out. The civilians were used as shields. As shield. By the terrorists. By the terrorists. Okay. And in fact, um, uh, on the day that we were to go in, I, my, my officers started making calls on loudspeakers from outside the Golden Temple to say that we're going to come in if you want to fight, it's up to you. We would suggest you avoid bloodshed and we come to a peaceful agreement. But if you insist on fighting, okay, but please let the civilians, the women, the children, the men, innocent people, let them come out. Hmm. No one came out. These uh, announcements went on for two hours. No one came out. After two hours, 
seven or eight old sick guys came out okay too feeble to stay inside from them we learnt that they're not letting the others come out they okay. hold they've held on to them okay so you debriefed those who came out yeah you did yeah we briefed debriefed them so now the question was uh, when they were not uh, taking heed to our loudspeaker announcements hmm. how long can you go on delaying the operation hmm. because the longer you delay it you're not going to end by dawn it will go become 10 o'clock 11 o'clock 12 o'clock in the daytime in the daytime you'll have thousands of sikhs all over there so are you get at this time getting calls from delhi from chandimandir saying yeah. jao andar or was a date given to you beforehand how did it happen was a date no, given no, to you for entry or was it left to you to decide when to enter no general sundar ji had set up his command post where was that outside the golden temple outside. on one of the on one of the buildings mm-hmm. i had my command post i was in touch with general sundar ji on the radio all the time all my subunit commanders from all the battalions were in touch with me all the time how many casualties they've suffered what is happening where what how, how much of the ground have they gained what difficulties are they finding so we were in touch all the time so when where, what happens when you enter when when the troops enter indian troops initial i'll tell you um, uh, what is the formation first let me tell you that on that morning uh when we went in that morning i decided to address all the troops who were going to go in about five battalions or four battalions i started at 5 o'clock in the morning went to one battalion then to the next one then to the third i spoke to them and i explained to them what the situation was i said the situation is terrible they are holding this religious place as a fortress they determined on establishing khalistan there is no law and order left in the state we have to go in we have to um recover the golden temple from these uh, terrorists if there's anyone amongst you who doesn't want to go in for religious reasons or any other reasons i don't hold it against you just stand up and stand aside your commanding officers are here i order them that no action will be taken against you first battalion no one got up second battalion no one got up third battalion one young sick boy he got up i said no problem son you don't have to go in you have strong feelings i told the ceo i said he won't go in he says you've got me wrong sir you've got me wrong sir not only do i want to go in i want to be the first one to go in i want to be the first one to reach the akal takht and to get bindunwale amazing i said you're a very brave man i salute you and i told the commanding officer his platoon will be the first to enter and he will be the platoon commander with these troops there brave fellow 
Captain Raina, hmm? Sikh boy, belong to the Jammu area. Hmm. You have a lot of Sikhs there also. Yeah, there was a chief, no, General Raina. There was a chief also. Yeah, there was a chief Raina also. Yeah, but he was. Uh, no, he was not. From no. Yeah. So I spoke to everyone. He was the only one who got up and said he wants to go in. Okay. So now the operation started. His platoon was the first to enter the Golden Temple. And as they entered, fire came from all directions, heavy firing on them. They, I, I could hear people dying. Yeah. They can't make progress. He said, I'm trying very hard, but there's a lot of firing going on. And from underground um, uh, tunnels also, there was firing going on, you know, from the walls. So then I had to... Um, Russian more troops and I told his commanding officer I said how is he? He said he's been very badly wounded both his legs uh, have been shot Captain Raina I said evacuate him bring him out immediately I have an ambulance waiting here I'll send him to the hospital straight away he said he's refusing to come out he's crawling, he's going on all his foes, he's carrying on, he says, I'm going to reach the Akal Takht, I'm not going back. I said, now forcibly, because he's bleeding so heavily, forcibly pick him up and bring him out. So he was forcibly brought out, sent to hospital, immediately evacuated, both legs amputated, both legs amputated. I got him the Ashoka Chakra, the highest award that you can give to a person, not in actual war. Mm. He got the award of Ashoka Chakra. He went into Raj Bhavan. I was in Raj Bhavan the day the award was given to him. He was not married, so his father and mother accompanied him. He was in a wheelchair without his legs. And the president, instead of, you have to go up the two steps to receive your medal from the president. The president came down two steps to pin the award on him because he couldn't go up. Captain Raina. And uh, I was there with tears in my eyes and everyone in the audience had tears in their eyes that this is what our Indian soldiers are. We are ready to give our life. And when I spoke to the troops on that first morning, I told them, I said, we are not going against any enemy. We are not going against Pakistan or China or an external force. Just remember, we are going in there against our own people who have taken up arms against the state, against the country, who, want, who have uh, uh, become traitors to this country and they want to uh, establish their own state. So when you go in there, don't think you're going to war. You're not going to war. You're going to get hold of these people, these misinformed people who have got onto the wrong path. And I want you to keep that in mind when you are fighting this action. These were my briefings to them. Sir. And 
they were now all prepared for it. So we suffered casualties, they suffered casualties. Who took out uh, Bindrawale and who took out Shabeg? We don't know. They were inside their command posts in the Golden Temple. Was he fighting too? Bindrawale. Ja- no, Bindrawale no, was, no. Uh, you know, uh, there's so many things I can tell you about Bindrawale, but I don't want to. But uh, He was no military commander, right? No, no. No. He was a, a, a religious man who could give you sermons. So, because I'm simply asking because now there's this whole cult worship which happens of him. And I've seen Gurdwaras. Um, with his photographs yes, and everything. Yeah. With his photographs. And I can, in the in the social media, he's painted to be some kind of a uh, um, military uh, person, some hero. Nowhere. Nowhere. In fact, some of the things that we discovered about him inside the Golden Temple, I won't tell you. Some of the things that he did there. Um, you would be ashamed to hear even. And some of the things that we saw were too horrible for me to speak about. General Shabek, you you were with him. He was a comrade. He, you, you worked with him in the service. No, he was and a soldier. He was a soldier. He, he died soldier. there. Well, how does it feel when you see the body? When you see that one person with whom you shared so much yeah. and he's there. I, I had no feelings left because I said, how can, how can he have done this? How could he? He was a soldier. When you uh, joined the army, put on your uniform, you take an oath that I will preserve the integrity of the country. I will fight for this country. Hmm. I said, here is a soldier who's not fighting for his country, but he's fighting against his country. So he was a traitor and there is nothing about his past no. that redeemed him, you no. feel? So, although I admired the man before, hmm. uh, bef- uh, earlier on, hmm. but when I uh, saw him here, I had no admiration left for him. It, uh, he, he was doing something um, which you wouldn't expect a, a disciplined soldier to do. Yeah, but one can't feel a sense of what a waste. So, he was found dead, um, still holding his revolver in his hand. Yeah, I believe so. So, tell me, uh, Jansab, that operationally could things have been done better? Because a lot is said that maybe if the operation had been delayed by two days, I don't know because I was still a student in those days, but... What I've read is that people say maybe if the operation had been postponed by two more days or or if you see what happened with Operation Black Thunder, that that was a better uh, planned operation. We were. Let, I'll, I'll kill your Black Thunder first. Hmm. There was no Bindranwale in Black Thunder. Correct. There were no strong religious leaders in there. It was a normal Gurdwara. By that time, they knew that the army has gone into... Once go, before. One before, they'll go, come in here also. So, there was no way that they were going to fight or offer a fight or anything. They just meekly surrendered. And I think uh, the wait out was done, right? 
yeah the uh, rajiv gandhi also at that time decided that there was so much disinformation which happened in the previous operation in black thunder we had our cameras focused there yeah. all the time yeah. so it was under media glare so yeah. there was that fog of disinformation that's right which was there in a blue star Th- was right. not there in black thunder the media was sent away from amritsar yes all these people uh, media fellows that i know when i meet them they say <laughs> we weren't there we were sent away two we days lo- before that mark tali and the others yeah they were told two days before that uh, that leave because nothing's so happening we learned our lesson and therefore in kargil all our media was present when the operation was taking place in kargil right so black thunder was i i don't call it any operation you know they just um, a flushing out of terrorists yeah. but whereas a blue star was a uh, uh, they were fighting you? fighting for death you know fighting for what they they believed in they believed in their own state their own country their own thing their own uh, they looked at us as enemies hmm. they they considered themselves a different class of people just up 40 years later when you look back could we have done things differently i don't think so we've thought about it often after the operation i discussed with general sundar ji also a number of times a lot of things had been discussed can it be done in any other way if you delay it as it is hmm. khalistan is going to be declared any day then you would regret that i delayed it and they declared khalistan and pakistan was actively supporting you see and then all those problems would start hmm. at the same time the news would be going around that the armies are there we have not started our operation the crowds would have started coming in towards the golden temple hmm. so maybe we wouldn't be able to start our operation with all the uh, civilians converging on us from all directions general sundar ji was a very intelligent man he thought of everything before doing this in in your military history in the annals of military history will this be seen as a botched up operation semi botched up operation successful operation those those who are anti anti us will say botched up operation i will say let me see anyone else who would have done something better and come out successful right it it was not easy hmm. i i know what nightmares i've been having after that even not it was not easy to carry out an operation like that the the post traumatic stress yeah. disorder that one hears yeah. about what it, so, it, most difficult mean? most difficult orders i've given in my life to my soldiers you you're being fired upon you will not return fire someone is firing at you from the akal takht or from the harmandar sahab you will not return fire you take the fire and die but you will not return fire you know some of the most unreasonable orders you give to a soldier who says i'm here to fight if i'm being shot at i must shoot back and you say no you're not going to shoot back so sometimes i i have this feeling in me that maybe i was 
I couldn't sleep for many nights, thinking, how did I order this, give this, pass such orders? These were, you were told to give these orders, right? Yeah. Yeah. They will not return, they will not fire in the direction of Akal Takht or the Harmandar Sah. Jansab, do you know of any operation before or after that, that this has happened? Because uh, I know of Charare Sharif was done. There was that, the Charare Sharif hmm. flushing out of terrorists. But there was no such instruction given uh, at that stage. Uh, that You're talking of Mecca? No, Charare Sharif, Kashmir. Kashmir, oh, no. Yeah, there were militants lodged in there. But uh, it was the same thing that don't, don't pull down, don't do it. But the militants had said, we will not let you in. And hum jala denge, we will pull this down. But we will not let you come in. So even though it was lined up with explosives, they didn't do it. It wasn't done. Hmm. So do, have you had this kind of an experience before no. or after that? No. Nothing. Where a, a place of worship was flushed out by terrorists. No. And your men were told, don't fire on the Harmandir no. Sahib. No. You've been under terror attacks, threats for the past 40 years. Tell us, tell us about that incident in London when an assassination okay. attempt was made on you. Okay. It wouldn't mm. be... You, you can live under that kind of a threat for two years, five years. You have done that for 40 years. Yeah. I'm going to read out one part. You said, uh, suddenly four strong Sikhs grabbed me. One attacked my wife. I had very little time to react. They tried to kill me with their kirpans. Yeah. Being a soldier, my first instinct was to fight back yeah. and not give in. I kicked and they first slashed I my kicked, back. I kicked, I abused, I shouted, abused. I did everything, yeah. And first they slashed my back. Yeah. They finally slashed my throat. Yeah. They were all arrested and sentenced to imprisonment ranging from 10 to 15 years. Where did they... It was... First at my back, then he missed my throat, it went on my cheek, then here. But uh, when I went for surgery immediately after that, they rushed me to hospital. The, the surgeon said, luckily, they had not gone deep enough. Deep. Okay. You see, I was <clears throat> what had happened on the, in that attack is that in this two minutes or one minute that we were fighting, he was hitting me and I was kicking him and all that sort of stuff. One of them dropped his telephone. Mobile you phone. already in your 70s by now. When the attack happened, you're in your 70s. Yeah. But you hit back, kick back. Yeah. As a soldier, what you, you have two choices. Either give up and say, okay, take me. Or you fight back. So your immediate instinct was to fight back. If I had not fought back, I'd be lying on the floor dead. Your wife was with you? No, my wife was with me, but one of them had Pushed caught up. her and taken her and banged her to her next to the wall. She couldn't see what was happening. Okay. And how many were there on you? Four. You fought back four men, four yeah. assassins. Yeah. You fight back four assassins and they leave you bleeding on the ground. Yeah. Because by that time... The police? No, not police. 
um, there's a bar close by, people from the bar, from somewhere else. My wife was shouting, help, help. Some passers-by were coming in. So they ran. They ran because they, they saw people coming in. Did you at that point think that you don't stand a chance? Because General Vaidya had already been assassinated yeah. uh, by then. Yeah. You must have always known that... That one day I'm going. I still say that. I still say that um, it's just a question of time now. They're going to get me one day or the other. Uh, I'm now going to be 89 this year. Okay, I've lived my life. Uh, in any case, even a natural death would be my 90, 91, 92. So I'm ready to go. How does your family live with that, with that knowledge that assassins can get you any time? Well, there's nothing they can do about it. They just have that worry. Jensab, it said that, you know, in 2014, a controversy broke out that a British MP claimed at that time that, you know, these declassified. All bullshit. All bullshit. That the SAS had... They may have gone to Delhi or Indra Gandhi or whatever. No one came to me or to Amritsar. It's, uh, they, uh, I've been interviewed on this number of times. I said, all lies. It was a purely Indian Army operation. Purely. No one from outside. How do you react when you get to know that, you know, there's this revival of the Khalistani movement which is happening, funded, aided, uh, encouraged in Canada and in the UK at times? In Horrible. Europe? I go to UK, I, I go to UK, I go to South Hall, I see Vindranwala's pictures everywhere, everyone is, you know... Uh, I say, well, what, what, what's happening? It is our... Uh, diaspora, which has gone abroad, our, in, uh, our Indian people who have gone abroad, who are more pro-Khalistan and all that than those who are in, in India. Are you worried at all that in Punjab there is a resurgence of this movement? Yes, yes, yes. Pakistan is also assisting them, you see. And Canada, London, Canada, America, Pakistan, all together, they, uh, they want a resurgence here. At that time, you know, you mentioned about uh, the police, which was ineffective completely. And then it is only then that the Indian Army was asked to go in when yeah. the police was totally. Then you have somebody like KPS Gill, yeah. uh, who took on the post-1984, hmm. uh, hmm. who took on the task of eliminating terrorism from uh, Punjab. Now, he too is demonized yeah. hell of a lot by this whole Khalistani, this yeah. new Khalistani movement. Yeah. What do you think his role was uh, in, in Punjab at that time? As DGP, hmm. uh, his role was um, uh, to, to, to stamp out terrorism in Punjab. He did it very well. I admire DGP Gill. I think he did it very well. This is one I'll show you. This is now, um, they placed a bounty of 250,000, uh, two, 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 I don't know how many, 25 crores or something on my $250,000. So, this this carries on. Uh, they send me messages from there also. They send you messages that they will eliminate you? Yeah. 
they send me messages that you, 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 we're going to eliminate you. You know, on the electronic media, somewhere or the other, through uh, some means, they get my email address, send me a message. Is there any sense of regret, General Saab, that maybe it shouldn't have happened the way it did? What shouldn't have happened? The operation, Operation Blue Star. Oh, no, no one, no one wants an operation. But what do you do? Do you uh, allow the Indra Gandhi allowed him to become a Frankenstein? You, you could see Bindranwale every year what was happening. But when he reached um, the pinnacle, now to finish him off, now destroy him, it's too late. So you feel that the civilian administration didn't do enough, the administration, the political leadership, they allowed this uh, cult to build. To bring. And you, because you're from the same area yeah. as Bindrawale, yeah. you, you saw this happening in Punjab. Yeah. I mean, your relatives and all must have, you, you're from a Fauji family, an illustrious uh, Fauji family yourself. You sec Third generation soldier, second generation. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you must have seen this happening there, right? Yeah, yeah. You knew what was happening. Yeah. But obviously the political leadership didn't want to listen to anything. No. They they had their own little, um, between Akali and Congress and, you know, their own political uh, problems, support, so and so. Uh, hmm. They didn't want any. And they allowed this cult of Bindrawale to continue. To continue. Yeah. And... Uh, Jessup, if you if you were to look back, could the operation have been handled better? I don't know. I uh, how am I to say that? Someone else can say that. I I feel we did whatever we could to the best uh, in the best manner that we had. Okay. So uh, let me now uh, now that we've discussed uh, Operation Blue Star, let me get on to uh, the nineteen seventy one. Uh, war. Yeah, first let me find this picture for you hmm. of these four fellows who tried to kill me. There was one woman and three men. You you knew that they that they were Sikhs who were attacking you, that they were Khalistanis. Yeah. When they came towards you, how what were they wearing? Yeah. Exactly like this. Yeah, exactly like this. This picture is taken at that time. My mother's brother. Happy-go-lucky fellow, Sikh. We are all Jat Sikh. Happy-go-lucky fellow, lived in London, married to a, a person in London only. When I used to go there, come on, let's go to the pub, let's go to the bar, we'd have a drink here, there and the other. But after this operation, what came over him, sitting in London, he'd go to South Hall every day. He would be praying from morning to night. He broke off all ties with the entire family. He said, I want to, I'm going to kill uh, this fellow Bulbul uh, when I can. And um, This is your relative? My mother's brother. He, uh, it went into him that the Sikhs um, were killed by us. So... I was on a visit in London and now he started suffering from cancer. He was in hospital. So I said, I'd like to meet him. So his daughter said, I don't know whether he'll be in a condition to meet you or he, uh, he, whether he wants to meet you or not. 
I said, you ask him. Say, Bulbul is here on a little holiday and he wants to meet you because he has heard that you are very unwell. He wants to wish you well, wants to meet you. If he says yes, I'll go in. If he says no, I won't go in. So she said, he said, okay. So I went in. He was lying in bed, long beard, doing this. So I put out my hand to him and I said, Bunty Bulbul here. You know, he started crying, tears coming down his eyes. He held my hand, grasped my hand and he said, Bulbul, I'm sorry. I feel so sorry that I behaved in such a manner. I curse myself for it. You did what you had to do. I said, you wanted to kill us all. He says, the biggest mistake of my life. Here was immediate relation, mother's brother. Did you lose family friends also? Yes. Family and friends? Yes. Friends who just wouldn't forgive you for? Yeah, yeah. Even though you were just doing your duty? Hmm? Yeah. Those who are very, you know, religious bound and they are not prepared to forgive. They, they still hold it. He's responsible. He's responsible. Jansa, if I may ask, um, why were you picked? I mean, you were a Jat Sikh too, right? They could have picked up somebody else to do this operation. General Vaidya, General Sundarji, they could have taken anybody. Why a Jat Sikh to do this? I don't know whether they thought of all those things. Um, Is it thought of at all in an army? Hmm? Is a person's religion a consideration when doing an operation like no, this? No, no, no. Uh, what, what General Sundarji tells me, um, he says, General Vaidya told him, you, you are going to carry out this operation. It was Western Command, Army Commander. You pick up a general, your choice, select anyone you want. So he said, I selected Bulbul Brar. I had confidence in him. I know him. I picked him up. So General Sundarji personally picked me up. Without thinking whether I'm a Sikh or a Gujarati or a Parsi or a Christian, I'm a soldier. And when you're a soldier, you don't think whether you're Sikh or a Jat or a Brahmin or what, you know. You, you're, you're, you're fighting for your nation. So... so Yes, I get that. But you know what happened in the forces then? There were there were rumors or not there were incidents of mutiny. There were there mm. were times when people took off their uniform and said we cannot yeah. after this operation. Yeah. Do you fear that something similar could happen now? Is the Indian army inured towards that kind of a that kind, something like that happening ever again? It all depends on leadership that is provided. If your officers lead from the front, if your officers are there to spend time with the troops, with the soldiers, mm. if the soldiers have confidence in their officers, nothing like this will happen. But if the officers don't bother about their soldiers, they're out having their drinks, going to the bar, going for parties, going here and there, then you cannot command respect. You cannot command following. They won't follow you in war. It has to be implicit trust. A soldier has to have implicit trust in an officer. 
So it depends on the quality of officers. And I don't think today you have the quality of officers that we had maybe 30 years ago or 40 years ago. We have become more materialistic. Hmm. We're thinking of building a house, buying a new car, doing this, doing that. In olden days, uh, I see my own father, he retired as a general. Uh, they were a different tribe altogether. Hmm. So one can't say. When you were in, uh, in the 1971 war, hmm. the liberation of Bangladesh, what was it like then? Uh, what were the operations that you conducted? Uh, I believe uh, General Shabek, I keep coming back to General mm. Shabek, I believe he was involved in training the Mukti Bahini That's right. at that stage. That's right. what, was, what was your area that you could do? Because my, now time has passed, I guess you could tell us. My area was to take my battalion from the most unexpected route. Kulna. Into Dhaka. Okay, Dhaka. So there were large formations with tanks coming towards Dhaka from all ways. Pakistanis never expected that a force will come in from here. I had to cross the Brahmaputra River. There's no bridge on the Brahmaputra River. And to cross a river, uh, take your whole battalion across and then get behind the enemy. My task was get behind the enemy, trap him there, and then we have a para drop at a place called Tangail. Then you link up with them and move on to Dhaka. How to cross Brahmaputra River? So, we decided the only way is we go in country boats, huge fishing boats. We How many men were you? We were about 600. Okay. So, about 30 to 40 in a boat, about 20 boats. So, in three days or four days, we collected all these boats. Then we collected bullock carts about 40 bullock carts. We said we'll put our heavy weapons and ammunition and rations on these bullock carts. Because once we've crossed the Brahmaputra River, how do we start advancing? We have no trucks. We have no transport. We are on foot. Hmm. Manpack basis. Hmm. So the bullock carts will carry our luggage. Hmm. So we mustered these boats we got into the boats, one person with a torch in each boat, flashing the torch here, flashing, because we, we, we crossed at night. At night, we went across the Brahmaputra River silently. Pakistan is there on the other side. They didn't know that we are crossing the Brahmaputra River. We got across and we got behind this post called Jamalpur. And we dug in there, in paddy fields. I could see the post in front. Two nights we stayed dug in there, behind this Jamalpur post. Buses and trucks and all moving on the road, we kept quiet. They didn't know any soldiers were sitting here. Carried out a little reconnaissance at night, found out exactly where these Pakistanis are, and we were planning our attack, to attack Jamalpur now. Meanwhile, they got the scent that there's someone, some people sitting behind us. In the paddy fields. In the paddy fields. They said, must be Mukti Baini, this, that, and the other, must have infiltrated, they must be there. We'll rush them. Meanwhile, 
uh, General Niazi sent them a message to say that Indian Army is coming from all directions. Dhaka is now being threatened. We are short of forces. You fall back on Dhaka now. So the whole battalion, 31st Baluch, they got ready with their weapons. They got into their vehicles. And suddenly from the paddy fields, we see headlights coming towards us, you know. Oh. They are rushing down the road, coming down the road in a single file like this. So I had uh, groups on both sides of the road with um, rocket launchers and all that. Fire. Ambushed them on the road. Ambushed them on the road. They started jumping out of the vehicles, shouting, Allah, Akbar, this and the other. Some people started charging towards our trenches. We were in our trenches in the paddy fields. Some are lying on the road, dead, wounded. Some are rushing towards us and we knocked them out while they were coming. Hundreds of them were killed in that operation. Eventually, a group came out from Jamalpur carrying a white flag. Surrender. We surrender. So I sent a major, major number to go in there and accept their surrender. The same who became General Nambia then? General Nambia. Okay, he was major then. He was a major. Uh, he was my um, uh, company commander. Hmm. His brother was in the foreign yeah. service. Yeah. Uh, he was ambassador and whatnot. Very good family. Hmm. So I told Nambia, you go get the uh, surrender. So they surrendered. And then now how do we... And how did we get to that place? Our, we were marching and bullock carts were carrying our um, weapons and our um, rations. So the Tangail paradrop has not yet happened? When not this yet happened. Okay. Now, the day we this action took place in Jamalpur, 4 p.m. paradrop was to take place at Tangail, 4 p.m. And now it was 6 a.m. How do we get there? And if we don't get there and a para drop takes place, Pakistan... Sitting ducks. Uh, ...would come with their tanks and all that. Yeah. So I sent my officers, including Nambia. I said, let's muster whatever transport we can. Buses, trucks, fire engines, automobiles, auto rickshaws, uh, vans, multitude of vehicles we mustered. We all got into those vehicles and started moving towards Tangail. Four o'clock, the paratroopers dropped there. Quarter past four, we are in Tangail. And they were also Marathas, the paratroopers. Yeah. Second Marathas, we were first Marathas. Bolo Chhatrapati Shivaji ke Maharaj ke jai, Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaj ke jai. We embraced this there and the other. And we had there. A chap called Tiger Sadiqi from Bangladesh. Yes. He was waiting there also. And then from What there, a warrior. Warrior. There are stories about Tiger Sadiqi which are like... He was like know, a warrior. Yes. He would march like Hitler, Gestapo step, yeah. you know. He saluted us and all that. And then we moved to Dhaka. Now we get to the outskirts of Dhaka. We are not in communication with anyone in the Indian Army. We are not in radio touch with anyone. We can't speak to anyone somehow. Uh, out of range, this and the other. We get to a place called Mirpur Bridge, which is outskirts of Dhaka. And we dug, dug in. We said, we can see Dhaka in front. 
On the radio, we are hearing announcements from Manik Shaw to say, surrender. I ask you all to surrender. We'll be given Geneva Convention treatment. We'll look after you. Why do you want to give your lives? Please surrender. Oh, you heard this legendary speech of General Manik Shah. Manik Shah. Not once, not twice. It, he repeated it about six times. You know? Yeah. I'm asking you to surrender. You're listening to it and saying, how do we tell people in India, in Shillong and Calcutta, that we are already... Dhaka is already falling. <laughs> so... My brigade commander was a chap called Brigadier Clare, also a Sadarji. And my GOC was General Nagra. Huh. Very fine man. Yes. So Nagra said, why don't we send a patrol to the bridge to see if there's anyone there? We sent a patrol. We found the bridge abandoned. Pakistanis had left and gone back to Dhaka. There was a telephone there. So one of those telephones yeah. revolved <laughs> like this. So the reply came from the other end, Headquarter Eastern Command here. Head, headquarter huh. Eastern Command means Headquarter Eastern Command, huh. Dhaka, huh. not India. Yeah, sure. So uh, Brigadier Clare said, can we speak to General Niazi, please? Who's calling? He said, we're from the Indian Army. General Gandharv Nagra would like to speak to him. Now, Gandharv Nagra and Niazi had been in college together in Lahore. Hmm. Old friends. So, Niazi came onto the phone and he said, Hello, he said, Abdullah, he's Abdullah Niazi, A.A.K. Niazi. Hmm. Abdullah, this is Gandharv here. Gandharv, where are you? He said, I'm at Mirpur Bridge. We are waiting to come in. We are hearing uh, Manik Shaw's request for you to all surrender, but we are not receiving any reply. We are not in touch with anyone. He says, I have already given orders to my troops to move into the barracks and to be ready to surrender. We are ready to surrender, but we don't know how to inform India and the Indian Army that we are ready to surrender. We, I don't know how to respond to Manik Shaw's uh, speeches. So Gandharv said, well, we are here. So he said, what I'll do is I'm sending General Jamshed in a car. About 20 or 30 of you come in. I'll send you six cars. We'll meet in the operations room and we'll discuss here. So these six cars arrived with a flag flying. Uh, which flag flying? That General Jamshed's... But this could be a trap. Could be a trap. But then at that time, soldiers take a, take a chance, isn't it? Could be a trap. Okay. But we said we will... We, we will take this risk. So we got into these cars because by that time... Have you uh, called back call command back headquarters? Well, you haven't. You take the decision there. We took the decision. General Nagara took the decision. We're driving in uh, with General Jamshed asking the driver, what is that? He says, the university and what is that? That's the race course. So we get into headquarters Eastern Command. And a young officer comes out, maybe staff officer, to uh, Niazi. He says, General Niazi is in the office. So Gandharv Nagra and Brigadier Clare walk in. I'm just along with them. They embrace each other. He says, hello, Gandharv. He says, hello, Abdullah. How are you? Unbelievable. How are you? 
सो इसे हम तो सरेंडर करने को तैयार हैं वी हैव वी हैव लॉस्ट द बैटल आई हैव ऑर्डर द ट्रुप्स इनटू बैरक्स दे आर ऑल इन बैरक्स बट आई डोंट नो हाउ टू इन्फॉर्म यू ऑल ही सेड वेल वील कम टू योर हेड क्वार्टर्स एंड वील कंटिन्यू ट्राइंग टू गेट इन टच विद इंडिया What's his body language like, General Niazi? Is he looking dejected, depressed? He's a depressed he's a general who's lost a war. Depressed because they were expecting the Seventh Fleet to come. They yeah. were expecting help from Pakistan. Dejected. He was feeling let down that West Pakistan has let them down. What was his like? You're saying he got up and hugged. Yeah. And he's what did he say? Old schoolboy friendship, you know. Okay. Uh, really, then we got into. Was he armed? He, he had his revolver. He had that. his yeah, revolver. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We were all armed. Okay. Um, so somehow or the other, from his office, through one of our channels, we managed to get through to Shillong. Passed a message there to General Jacob, Chief of Staff, hmm. to say we are already in Dhaka. We are sitting in Niazi's office. Hmm. He is ready to surrender. But he doesn't know how to inform you, and we are not in touch with anyone either. So he said, "Let me tell the army commander." So he spoke to General Rora, and they said, uh, "Jacob said, I'm coming down by helicopter. Hmm. I land there, and then set up a meeting between General Niazi and me." But General Rora also came. No. Did for the surrender? No, uh, no. Surrender hasn't taken place yet. Hasn't yet. Yeah. So uh, set up a meeting for Jacob and um, Jelniazi and Niazi. So the two of them sat in the office and they had a powwow. <laughs> and he said, "We are ready to surrender." So he said, "Then I'll ask my army commander to come down, and then between you and the army commander, you sign the documents of surrender." So it was decided at four thirty-one, four thirty. Surrender ceremony will take place at the race course hmm. in Dhaka. All the ninety thousand troops there will parade. General uh, Niazi will hand over his revolver to General Aurora. The troops will put their weapons down and surrender, and then the surrender ceremony will take place. For which General Aurora arrived for hmm. the surrender ceremony. General Aurora, General Jacob, naval gentlemen, army, yeah. signed the surrender. I was there, and then you were there when the surrender yeah, thing. Yeah, I you, was there. Yeah, okay. I, we were all there at, uh, with Niazi and all at that time. Then, what was the mood in the troops who have to put down there? Very sad and dejected, but what can you do? Some are victors and some are vanquished. Hmm. So, did they expect to be uh, taken care of as per the Geneva Convention? Did they actually think that be massacred? No, they ho- hoped that they hoped. Uh, Indians would uh, uh, keep their word. They were more frightened of Mukti Bhaini. Vedas was Mukti Bhaini. Correct. We must have had five hundred Mukti Bhaini Vedas. They were frightened that they would be lynched. Because the they had committed genocide there, so they were frightened they'd be lynched by the Mukti Bhaini. Yeah. So uh, surrender ceremony took place. They laid down the weapons, then went in for a cup of tea. 
did you hold did you have to hold back the mukti baini and we that's had to. you had to my god we uh, throughout while we and dhaka we didn't allow the mukti baini to go near any of them they would have killed them in cold they would have killed them you couldn't stop them now but you could understand right yeah. they had seen their of people course. killed raped looted bloodied everything village after village terrible i was placed in command of one of the prisoner of war camps hmm. there so i said let me talk to the officers so they all lined up and i went around meeting the officers and i said i am colonel brar he said i'm so and so so and so so and so i said don't worry you fought your war but uh, you'll be looked after under the geneva convention they were looking up like that till i came to a particular officer is looking down so i said why don't you look up son so he looked up he was colonel akbar of the baluch regiment who he and i did the staff college in australia together in 1965 oh i said akbar he said bulbul i said i'm sorry today you're the vanquished and we are the victors but you're wearing khaki uniform i'm wearing olive green uniform we are both soldiers we are both fighting for our countries and we are friends as soldiers now first of all give me the phone number of nazreen your wife in lahore let me ring her up and tell her you're going to be safe you'll be home soon and this that and the other and in the evening we'll have kebabs together so that i rang up nazreen she answered i said nazreen this is bulbul brar from the indian salam alaikum aap kaise hain kidhar hain kaha hai main main dhaka mein hu just calling to tell you akbar is with me he's okay we are going to have kebabs together this evening please don't worry सब ठीक ठाक है वो कुछ चंद दिनों में आपके पास पहुंच जाएंगे खुदा सलामती ये वो सब एंड ऑल दैट इन द इवनिंग वी हैड कबाब्स टुगेदर अकबर एंड मी यू नो व्हाट इट इज टू बी अ वैंक्विश सोल्जर बिकॉज़ यू वर देयर इन द 62 वॉर यू नो व्हाट इट इज इट इज सो वॉर वाज ओवर दे ऑल लेड डाउन देयर आर्म्स and i stayed on in dhaka till mujibur rahman came back you know mujibur rahman had been arrested and taken away uh, yes. sent away by pakistan he never saw the war no he never saw the war then eventually uh, uk gave him a, a royal air force comet plane and flew him down to dhaka he arrived in dhaka at the same airport and everyone was there thousands and thousands of people Jai Mujib, Jai Mujib, Jai Mujib. You know, and what a welcome he got yeah. when Mujib Rahman arrived. But those memories don't go away easily now. I, 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 I can still see myself standing in Dhaka, Mujib Rahman, and all this. Banga Bandhu. Banga Bandhu. Yeah. In fact, when we were entering Dhaka, Joy Hind. Joy, Joy Bangla. Bangla, Joy Hind, Joy Bangla. Fantastic it was. Yeah. But there you are. Just a life well lived. Any regrets when you look back in your career? I can't even say career as a soldier, but your life as a soldier. No regrets. Uh, 
I knew I'm going to be a soldier when I was five years old. I saw my father as a major general every morning wearing his uniform and I said, this is the way I want to go into. I want to join the army. I want to join the same regiment, mm-hmm. the Maratha Light Infantry. And uh, I, I was born to be a soldier and carried on my life. And that life still carries on. My only regret now is I'm getting old every day and I'm no longer young. And um, You're 89 years young, Janusab. <laughs> you have amazing memory and you, you explain chronologically exactly what happened in 71 and Operation Blue Star. Yeah. So hats off to you and wishing you health, happiness always and be safe. Thank That's you very much. Thank it's you. a pleasure speaking I, to you. I need people like you. Thank you for watching or listening in to this podcast. Do like or subscribe on whichever channel you have seen this or heard this. Namaste. Jai Hind.